Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 11 is where you'll find our scripture reading today. Hebrews chapter 11. I'm continuing this message series called Love Stories. We're looking at individuals in the Bible that have come together and have married and now we get to learn from them. And what we're discovering is there's some messed up people in the Bible because they're all sinners like us. Heard about little Susie. Susie had just come home from kindergarten and she had learned a new story. It was a story of Snow White and Prince Charming. She was so excited to tell her mom about this fairy tale. So she gets home and she begins to tell her mom the story. She gets to the part where she says, Prince Charming shows up on his white horse. He kisses Snow White and she instantly comes back to life. And then he, Susie says, Mom, do you know what happens next? And her mom says, yeah, they live happily ever after. And Susie says, nope. They get married. <laughs> and in that sentence, Susie describes what we recognize as a challenge for a lot of people, that some people think that those two things can't go together, that you can't be married and live happily ever after. That the challenges, the difficulties, the problems that come into our relationships keep us from experiencing what we really want to experience. That's why in our church we want to celebrate marriage. And in fact, we recognize that there are milestones in life that throughout history people have gone through. Let me remind you of those milestones. First of all, you uh, leave home and then you finish school and, and then you get a job and then you get married and then you start a family. Those are kind of the historical milestones and yet in our society, partially because of what Susie said People have not looked positively at marriage, and so they've pushed off getting married and, and starting a family. And, and so we want to acknowledge that marriage is a good thing. In fact, it's a God thing, and we celebrate it in our church. So uh, I want you to help me celebrate it. So listen very carefully. If you're here in this room, and, and you've been married 25 years or longer, would you stand up right now and let us just honor you? Remain standing. That is awesome. Way to go. Listen carefully. If you've been married 35 years or longer, remain standing. 35 years or longer, remain standing. That's exciting. 45 years or longer, remain standing. That's good stuff. Let's just keep revving it on up. 55 years or longer, remain standing. All right, Kyle, you guys come on down. I've got a gift for you. Come on down. Yeah, you guys, Kyle. Yes, you. Come on down right now. How many years? Just shout it out as you make your way here. No, there's two more. Wait, stop. I've been tricked. There's more. How many years you got, Mr. Mr. Ralph? How many years? 61? How about you guys? Sixty-four? Does anybody beat sixty-four? I'm so sorry, Kyle, but you guys come on down. Come on down. We've got a gift for you. We've got a gift for you. Sixty-four years. Would you just give them another hand? This is awesome. Thank you so much. Hey, actually give that to him, because after 64 years, he needs to take you out on a hot date, all right? All right, you guys can be seated. That's awesome. But we're celebrating marriage, right? And so uh, what about this? If you've been married, you're still married, but you've been married five years or less, would you stand up in the room five years or less, standing up in the room? Okay, remain standing. Four years or less, remain standing. Three years or less, remain standing. Now, I got in trouble last time, so there's just two couples standing, right? Both of you are less than a year, right? How many months? Eight months. How many months? 
11 months, eight months with it. You guys, come on down here. All right, so now I want you to take her on a hot date, and you keep this up for the next 63-plus years, okay? Everybody say congratulations, eight months. All right. Well, last week we talked about how to have a match made in heaven, and I gave you four words from the lives of Adam and Eve. I said you've got to begin by understanding your identity, that you have to know who you are created in the image of Christ, and if you don't really know who you are, you're not fit to be in a relationship with another person yet. And so some of you, you've never established that, and you wonder why every relationship you get into is a mess. And it's because you've, you've not accepted who you are in the image of God. And then we talk about authority because although we are individuals created uniquely in the image of God, we are up under the umbrella of his authority, right? And if we have any doubts in our, in our world today, we know what he tells us to do because of his word, the Bible. So, so, The truth is, if I, in my relational life, try to live outside of the boundaries of God's Word, I'm usurping the authority from God, and I'm I'm thumbing my nose at the guardrails and the guidelines that He's put in life. And then we talked about compatibility and that unique way that God created us. Uh, He is a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and He created us in a triune way. He created us in, in body, spirit, and soul. And so when I'm looking for that person to be compatible with me, I want someone to whom I'm physically attracted If that's not there, that's going to eventually become a problem, I would suggest to you. So you want that physical attraction, but that's not where I stop. I I look at that spirit of the individual, their their mind, what they like to do. Do we enjoy doing things together more than just that physical attraction? But then maybe the most important is that soul connection, that on the most important things that we're on the same page, what the Bible calls being equally yoked that our priorities are, are the same, and, and that begins with a relationship with Christ. And then we talked about intentionality, and, and that's the recognition that even with all of these things, marriage is work. How many of you know marriage is hard work sometimes? Let me see your hand. Yeah, it is. It is. Kimberly and I have been married 29 years, and we've had some great times. And then we've had some moments of, uh, of heated fellowship. I mean, sometimes... It can be challenging. It can be difficult. And so you have to be intentional. And so we launched out of that verse in Genesis 1 and or Genesis 2 and verse 24, where it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So that intentionality involves leaving, it involves cleaving or clinging together, and it involves weaving your life together for. 50, 60, 70 years, however long God gives you, right? But because it's not quite that easy, we're going to continue our our study. And one of the things we learned in the Garden of Eden is that marriage was always designed to involve more than just a husband and a wife because it's God that brought Adam and Eve together. So if marriage is going to work, We've got to get in line in a covenant relationship with him. Yes, you have a covenant husband and wife, but you've got a covenant also with God. It's a three-way relationship. And the closer that husband gets to God and the closer that wife gets to God, the closer they get to one another. And that covenant relationship fuels you and helps you. And, And that's so important in all of these biblical marriages because Listen, apart from Jesus, there's no one that's walked this earth that's perfect. That means every individual and thus every marriage is flawed. And so we need the help of a holy God to intervene in our lives. There won't be a perfect marriage. But we can learn from Scripture and we can see what those who've gone before us have done right and maybe what they've done wrong and see how to pursue God's best in every area of our life. This week, we look at the lives of Abraham and Sarah. And I just need to tell you right off the bat, this is one messed up couple. In fact, 
If Jerry Springer had been around when Genesis was taking place, these guys, you're going to see, they would have been on it. And that's a big statement because they're also pretty important in our story. Every Jewish person that has ever been born comes from the lineage of Abraham. So the pinnacle of the story, where we're going to land today, God's faithful promise in their life and how they pursued that, it resulted in a great nation of of people being born, and yet getting there was messy. And that's really relevant, isn't it? Because some of us, even that have been married a few years, we would say, man, we're so glad we're together, but getting here has been messy. There have been some tough days. There have been some difficult times. There have been some problems. Now, let me give you just a a little bit of background before we jump in and, and look at these two people. It doesn't take you long in the Genesis story to see that Abraham and Sarah were not always called Abraham and Sarah. They actually had other names that you will see in these verses that I'm going to read with you today. God changed their name. He changed their name in the midst of demonstrating his faithfulness to his promises. But I'm just going to refer to them as Abraham and Sarah because otherwise we get mixed up and it gets a little confusing. We're, we're first introduced to them in Genesis chapter 11 and we learn something very important about them. Look at what it says. And Abraham and Nahor, that's his brother, they took wives. And the name of Abram's wife was Sarah and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now, Sarah was barren. She had no child. And I I wanted to begin there because I I want you to understand that this is a message about faith. And and faith is when we see that which we could not see. It's allowing us to encounter the impossible, not just the improbable, but to recognize that our God is able to do things that we can't do. He can take our messes and turn them into miracles. That's what he does in this relationship. That's what some of you need in your relationships. And that's what God is able to do. So you've got this problem. Sarah's barren. And this becomes a bigger problem because God has a big promise from Abraham. Look in Genesis 15 in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And he said, fear not, Abram. I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've you've given me no offspring, and a, a member of my household will be my heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, I just want to make sure you're keeping up. We start with this problem. You've got this couple, presumably a younger couple, as we're introduced to them in Scripture. And already the wife knows that she's unable to have children And then you've got God, the creator of all who is, coming to the husband and saying, hey, good news, your son is going to be the father of, of nations. And it doesn't make sense. The problem seems bigger than the promise. And, And again, that's where some of you are, right? You're looking at your life, perhaps. You're looking at your marriage. And the problems seem bigger than the promise. But something interesting happens because when we read about this couple in the New Testament, we see that there's been a change. I love that we've got the back of the book. We know how this thing ends. And so, for example, we're going to talk about David and Bathsheba in a few weeks. And and we, we learn about David's sinfulness and the way he dishonored God with Bathsheba and all the consequences of that. But in the New Testament, when we read about David, what does it call him? A man after God's own heart. So notice what it says about Abram and Sarah. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 8. 
By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And now Sarah enters the picture. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So some of you are at a place where you're thinking, I I don't know what else to do. Things just aren't working out. This, This is not what I signed up for. It's not the way it's supposed to go. Don't you think this young couple must have felt that way? And then like when God made the promise to Abraham, hey, your son's going to, he's like, God, you're adding insult to injury. It's not happening. Don't you understand? We've tried. It's not working. That's where some of you are. You, you look at your life or you look at your relationship and you think, God, I, I feel like I've tried. I, I, I took steps in the right direction, but it's not working out. So what do you do when you don't know what else to do? Here's what you do. You trust the one who knows what to do. And that's what we see that Sarah did. Because it says of Sarah, she knew, she considered, she understood that he who is promised is faithful. I want you to say that phrase with me. Say, he who has promised is faithful. One more time. He who has promised is faithful. And when you enter into a marriage covenant with God and your spouse, you make promises. But God makes promises too. And when you encounter those promise, those problems, you've got to remember, he who has promised is faithful. So I want to back up and just kind of drive that point home before we go today. Abraham is first introduced to us in chapter 12 as a man of faith. Listen to what it says, Genesis 12 and verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. Now, let's just stop. Where was Abraham supposed to go? To the land God was going to show him. I mean, I know I heard that, but but where? Did he know the direct? I mean, what direction am I supposed to start out in? From the moment that we hear about Abraham, we see that his relationship with God is necessarily one of faith. He's going to have to trust that God will direct him, not before he goes, but as he goes. And then God says, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went. He faithfully obeyed. And that's where Hebrews picks up the Abraham story. In obedience, Abraham went. And before we do anything else, let me just ask you today, is is God asking you to step out in faith in a particular area of your life? Because this is really the crux of the issue. Maybe it's that you need a relationship with God, that you've got down the rituals, you've been through some of the religion, but you've never truly trusted God in faith. You've never accepted that I can't do this on my own. The only way I'm going to move forward in relationship is by trusting a God that I can't see. Maybe it's that you need to trust Him in the area of your finances in faith, and and you need to begin to Steward your finances the way that he's designed you to do that and trust that he'll be faithful. 
But for some of you, it's in your relationship. Or, or for some of you, it's in your singleness. It's trusting Him to be faithful even when you don't understand. It's stepping out in faith. Well, Abraham started strong, but unfortunately he didn't live it out in every area of his life. As I mentioned to you, this guy could be on Jerry Springer. I want you to see what happens in Genesis chapter 12. Now there was a famine in the land, and so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. Now, to sojourn means to kind of hang out. And some of you are just hanging out. You're in that waiting season. In fact, in some of your translations, that Hebrew passage, it talks about Abraham sojourning in the land. That means there was a big, long season of waiting. So you got God's promise almost at, almost at the introduction of Abraham. And then you've got what you're going to find out is 99. Say 99. 99 years before he sees the fulfillment to the promise. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance. In, in other words, you are hot. And at that point, this was a good conversation, right? I mean, guys, you're in a good place when you're turning to the love of your wife and say, man, you are beautiful in appearance. Remember we learned last week from the little boy when he was talking about how to stay in love? You, you tell your wife, she looks beautiful even if she looks like a truck. I mean, you really do. So you can't go wrong. But then notice what he says. The Egyptians will see you and they'll say, this is his wife. And then they'll kill me. But they'll let you live. So I've got a plan. Say you're my sister that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. There's no way this could go wrong, is there? Can you believe this? Now, let me just tell you, say thank you, Jesus, that we're not living in this exact biblical time frame, because there was a little truth to this. This was kind of a half-truth, because um, she was kind of his half-sister. <laughs> they had the same father, but different mothers. But nevertheless, that's not what he was talking about here. He was being deceptive and dishonest. Why? Because he was afraid and self-serving. And it created a problem. I want you to understand something, and really this is a life lesson. Faith and fear are enemies. And when one grows the other will always diminish. You can't exercise faith while living in fear. And, and by the way, that, that's not the topic of, of today's message really, but there's a lot of people in our world that right now are controlled and gripped by fear. Whether it's fear of a virus or, or fear of other people that look different from them or, or fear of what's going to happen financially. And rather than walking in faith as followers of Christ, there are many who bear his name that, that when we look at you, we don't see little Christ. We see lots of fear. And, and the two don't, they don't commingle well. And they didn't for Abraham and Sarah. And so this became very messy. Fear always gets in the way of faith. You'll never build a strong and a healthy relationship in fear. And so just think of the way that fear gets into our relationship. Maybe it's you have a fear of angering the other person. Like so you're walking on eggshells and, and you live in fear because you're afraid you're going to make them angry and, and upset them. And man, is that a fun place to be? Say it together. No! Or what about this? You fear the appearance. And so you're afraid of, of what somebody else is going to think based on how you act. If I'm my real self or if I say what I think or, or if I, I live out the way I feel like I'm supposed to live, it's not going to go well. And is that a way to live? 
No. And then maybe there's just this fear of abandonment. Maybe you have been abandoned. Like many of the people growing up, perhaps you grew up in a home where your parents divorced or separated and and you felt abandoned. And because of that, every relationship that you encounter is seen through that lens of that fear of abandonment. But I'm just telling you, that is not a good way to live. So so what I want to encourage you to do before we continue looking at this story is find ways in your life and in your relationships to to displace fear and build faith. So, So what are you doing to build faith and displace fear? In a marriage relationship, that building of faith is trust, right? And hopefully, the longer you're married, the more you trust one another. If that's not the case, then, man, you've got to build that faith back. You've got to build that trust because what that's telling me is that fear has crept in. And when fear creeps in, you do very dumb things. How'd this work out for Abraham and Sarah? Well, they went. Sarah did as she was told. She submitted to her husband. And so the king says, hey, I want that woman. And then he finds out that's Abraham's wife. And he's like, oh, man, what am I going to do? Why would you trick me? And he pushes them away because it always messes things up when you're guided by fear, not by faith. I want to just give you something practical to help you build some trust for those of you that are married. And this is not new to me or not new to you from me, but three things that need to be a part of of your regular life as a married couple. Number one, you've got to dialogue daily. You've got to have a family meeting on a, a daily basis, just checking in to see how you're doing. And you got to listen to one another. And I would just say to you, if you're not talking with one another, it's going to be hard to build that trust and and fuel faith in that relationship. Then you need to date weekly. And here's some good news. It's, It's Valentine's weekend. So you have an opportunity to really maximize this. And you don't have to spend a lot of money to date, but find some time to pull away where it's just the two of you. And this gets so hard when we have children, doesn't it? But you know what happens? We don't do it when we have children. And then the children do what they're supposed to do. They grow up and they leave. We've not spent time talking regularly. We've not spent time doing things together regularly. And we're like two strangers that don't seem compatible anymore. You dialogue daily, you date weekly, and then you depart annually. And I realize this is a little harder, but early in our marriage, Kimberly and I, we learned this kind of the difficult way. We went through some challenges and we realized that though life is busy and parenting is hard and there's so many things we could do and need to do and there's never enough money, we recognize that we have to prioritize our time together. And so whether it's a few days or whether it's a week, we make sure we have some time where we can, we can get alone and, and I'm not thinking about church and my job and she's not thinking about her job or what our children need in that moment. And it allows us to build trust. So the practical application for you, what are you doing to build trust, faith, and displace fear? In your relationship. But fear wasn't the only thing, the only problem for uh, Abraham and Sarah. Flesh was also a problem. Now, when you're in church and we talk about flesh, we're really not talking about skin, right? When we talk about spiritual gifts, we said all of us have spiritual gifts and they look a certain way when we're walking in the spirit. They look another way when we're walking in the flesh. That's just a way of saying that we're walking according to our will Not God's will. We're not being guided by the Holy Spirit of God. So how did the flesh get into this relationship? This is really important because this is where a lot of us struggle. Notice what happens in Genesis 16. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. 
And Sarah said to Abraham, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. Well, there's no way this could go south, is there? Do I need to explain that to you? Sarah, the wife of Abraham in the Bible, said, I can't have a child for you. So, hey, here's my maid over here. Why don't you go have sex with her and maybe y'all will have a baby? Jerry Springer. What happens? Surprise, Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. So after Abraham had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, gave her to Abraham, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I mean, are you following along? Sarah has this cockamamie plan. Abraham says, okay, honey. He follows through on the plan. And then guess what? Sarah gets mad. Why? Because you're always going to mess up when you take things into your own hands. When you do things your way instead of God's way, there will always be consequences. I'm going to say that again because you need to get it. When you do things your way instead of God's way, there will always be consequences. We get in trouble when we decide that God needs our help. It seems absurd. Can I just be frank with you and tell you how this is happening today? Number one. Cohabitation. So again, we said we live up under authority, the authority of Scripture, and yet we live in a society where most people, in any, even many who gather in settings like this, begin to live together and experience the benefits of marriage together before they're married. And so we're taking things into our own hand, like a professional person that I came across with a couple years ago, and we were just talking about this, and and I was telling them what I believed in the biblical pattern for this, and they said, but how how do you know that you would want to be with that person if you've never been together with them sexually? And so it's this idea that my way is better than God's way, and, and so I'm going to take things into my own hand. And this week, this week, a secular newspaper that came out and, and reported a study that said relationships that begin in cohabitation are more likely to end than those that begin in the commitment of marriage. Why? Because when we do things our way instead of God's way, there's always consequences. I'll give you another example. I, I've, I've told you before, you know, man, we want to be a... a we're not a museum for the saints. We want to be a hospital for sinners. So I know this is hard to do, but I want you to be encouraged. For example, maybe you're living together right now. I want you to know this is a place of grace that's pointing you to the truth. So you're not going to catch us off guard. So we've had folks through the years come to us who are living the swinging lifestyle. You know what the swinging lifestyle is? It's the idea that this husband and wife are not getting their physical needs met in one another, so they're going to bring others into the relationship. So this husband may be in a relationship with someone else's wife, and his wife may be in a relationship with someone else's husband, and they're open about it. And, and the reasoning that would be expressed for that is because we, we, just, we just want to have those needs met our way. You think that ever... You think that ever works out okay? I mean, of course it doesn't. In the, in the same way that this situation with Abraham and Sarah did not work out. It's not God's design. Let me, let me bring it back in, make it a little more normalized. I hate that this is normalized. 
Another example is, is pornography within a marriage. Where a couple would say, hey, we're going we're gonna to watch this pornography together to help stimulate those emotions and those feelings for us. You think that's helpful? And let me just stop and say, um, some of you have never heard talk like this in church. But, but the reality is, this is the world we live in. If we, if we can't address it here, where in the world would we address it? The playground in third grade? Because that's when your kids are learning it. The locker room in seventh grade? No, this is the place. I, I just want to encourage you. Make a commitment today to do things God's way. So here's the picture. These two were given a promise, but so far their lives are full of problems. What changed? What, what brought the change about? Genesis 18. Then they said to him, who is they? Well, this group of people came to meet with Abraham. And a lot of us believe that one of these was the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Because he refers to him as the Lord but if not, these were angelic beings. And they said, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She's in, she is in the tent. And the Lord said, I'll surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old and advanced in years. Can I just make that a little more descriptive? Sarah was 90. Abraham was 99. And even in their day, you know what that was considered? Old. Do you know how I know that? Because the Bible says they were old. The way of women had, had ceased to be with Sarah. So can I explain that in modern English? It's saying even if she had not been barren, Sarah was not interested in what it took to make a baby. This was no longer part of her plan. Her routine. So what does she do? Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I'll return to you about this time next year. And Sarah will have a son. You get the picture? They had problems, but they had a promise. They had problems, but they had a pro they had problems, but they had a promise. And, and somewhere along the way, they made the decision to believe that the promise was bigger than the problems. Amen. That's what you've got to do. Some of you are going through your life, and, and I get it. I, I understand because some of you come in and talk to us. You've got really big problems. But I've got good news. I've got a much bigger God. And my God and His promises are bigger than your problems. Every time He's big enough to see you through. God gives them this promise five times between Genesis 12 and Genesis 21. But the problems keep showing up. What were the problems? Sarah said, I'm barren and I'm old. And some of you have the same problems in your relationships. Your relationship has become barren. And I'm not talking about your ability to have children. It's become dry, right? It's not producing what it should produce. And some of you, regardless of your age, the relationship has become old. Because here's what you're thinking. It's too far gone. And you've done one of two things. You've either checked out or you've settled for the ordinary when God wants to give you extraordinary. See, that's, that's what God does. He takes our messes and he produces his miracles. He takes our problems and he shows us his promises.
And that's where I want to get you today is looking back at the promises of God. Why do we make promises? And when I marry a couple, they stand before me and, and they'll say this, I promise to love and to honor, to comfort and cherish, in sickness and in health, in poverty and wealth, forsaking all others, keeping only to you, as long as we both shall live. Why? We don't make promises for the good times. We make promises for the bad times. We make the promises when we have to become a caregiver. We make the promises when we don't feel like we've been loved back. We make the promises because we're being faithful to Him. So for some of you today, I just want you to re-up that promise. I, I want you to mirror or reflect that faithfulness of God's promises to you. Because that's what we're to be in our relationships with other people. So that's got kind of deep. Let me make it really practical real quick, okay? Um, this is how you have the best marriage possible. B-E-S-T. Number one, determine today to bless your spouse. Make the decision that nobody's going to bless your spouse more than you. You're going to pray over them. You're going to speak Jesus over them. Uh, you're going to give them things that make them feel blessed. You're going to let them know how blessed you are to be with them. Bless your spouse. Number two, encourage your spouse. You know what that word encourage means? It, it means to put courage in. Your, your spouse should be the one that you're pouring courage into. You shouldn't be discouraging one another. You should be building one another up. And one of the ways you do that is submit to your spouse. There's an interesting passage in Peter about Abraham and Sarah. And it refers to the fact that Sarah submitted to Abraham. And, and part of what it's saying is that God brought them through this journey where Sarah said yes when she probably should have said no. And Abraham said yes when he probably should have said no. But because they came alongside each other and supported one another, God brought them through. In Ephesians, it says, submit one another unto the Lord. Voluntarily come alongside and put, your, put their interest above yours. Finally, treasure your spouse. Treasure your spouse. That's what Paul's talking about in Ephesians when he's talking about marriage and he says to cherish them. Make them feel like they are that holy vessel that God has given to you. Some of you need to go through this list and kind of begin that again and anew today. Reflect on God's promises and live those out in your marriage. Well, this story continues and it appears that Abraham and Sarah learned the lesson. Because God did give them the son, right? You remember how this, he gave them the son and then something crazy happens. God... God tells Abraham to go sacrifice his son. Are you tracking with me? You know, some of you have heard that story, but you didn't know this back Jerry Springer part of the story, right? So can you imagine? I mean, if that would have been us, if we would have been Sarah, we'd have been like, are you kidding me, God? After 91 years, you give me a child and now you're taking him? And the tendency would be to, to play God again, to take it back into our own hands. Or can you imagine Abraham? I'm a hundred years old now, and you gave me a son, and, and now you want me to give this son back? God, I'm afraid. But we don't find that in Scripture. All we see that Abraham, obviously with Sarah's knowledge, is taking his son to the altar. And as Abraham puts his living sacrifice on the altar, 
his son turns to him and says, Daddy, um, where's the animal, the sacrifice? And Abraham, who had been guided by fear, and Sarah, who had been guided by the flesh, they were able to look to their son and say, the Lord will provide the lamb. You see, spiritual maturity is when you get to the point where you understand the one who has promised is faithful. The one who has promised is faithful. And he knows your needs. He knows the needs in your marriage. He knows the needs in your singleness. He knows the needs in the other areas of your life where you're struggling with him and tempting to bring it into your own control. He knows your needs and this is his promise. He promises to supply your needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. So trust him. By the way, like every story in Scripture, um, this is not a book, the Bible, uh, about man. It's a book about God, and that's what it's pointing us to. And, and so let me just break this down in a way we all can relate to. We've all got problems. But our biggest problem is one called sin. Sin separates us from God. And if it's left undealt with, our life is going to be miserable and we'll go to hell. But God made a promise. <laughs> and his promise was based on the fact that his son, Jesus Christ, came to take the penalty for our sin. And because of what Jesus has done, we have the promise that if we'll just look to him, we don't have to perish, but we can have forever life. And here's what I've learned. The one who has promised that is faithful. He'll be faithful to you too. Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, we're going to sing about just the pursuit of you from God. The love that He has for you. But before we reflect on that, I, I want you to begin to apply some areas of this message to your life. And, and so if you're married and you're you're at a place where your spouse is in the room and they're with you, I, I would encourage you maybe to grab their hand right now. And maybe as you grab their hand, just whisper in their ear, Honey, if I had it to do over, I'd do it all over again today. And anytime I like to say that, I, I just want to remind you if, you, if you don't whisper that quietly right now, you'll probably have a much louder conversation <laughs> later in the afternoon. But some of you, you know what? We've, got, we've had problems, right? We've got scars. We've got battle wounds. But, but maybe you would just take this as a moment of, hey, man, we, we pledged our life together before a faithful God and, and we're just re-upping our commitment to be faithful to one another. All right. Some of you are here and these kind of messages are hard because... Either you're no longer married or you're not yet married and, and that's not something that's a real contentment in your, your life. You're, that's your longing and, and yet you don't have that. And, and here's my prayer for you today. I would say in this moment, just spend a, a second and say, God, I'm going to continue to trust that you who promise me, you're faithful. And I'm sojourning right now. I'm waiting, but I'm going to trust you. Maybe there's some other business you need to do. Maybe there's some ways you've blown it, and you need to confess that before the Lord. Repenting of sin. Maybe, maybe you've walked away from a marriage that you didn't need to walk away from. This is your time with the Lord. But somebody's here today, and you've never yet begun a relationship with Jesus Christ. Again, everything we have in Scripture is pointing us to His love for us. When Jesus dealt with your and my sin problem, He did that once and for all. And you can receive His forgiveness and grace at any time you're ready just by calling on the name of the Lord. And you don't need a pastor to guide you through that, but today I would be honored to encourage you in a prayer like this if that's what you need to do. Maybe you would cry out to God and say, Dear Jesus, just you and Him, I know I need you. 
I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. I believe you died for my sin. And I know you're alive today. So I receive your forgiveness. From this moment on, Lord, I'm going to follow you. That's my promise. And God, from this moment on, I trust that you, you who promised to me, you will be faithful. I tell him thank you. God, I thank you for loving us when we're unlovable. I thank you for pursuing us when we have run away. God, I thank you for showing us your love through other people. You've done that in my life through many, but most importantly through my wife. Thank you for the grace and forgiveness and, and love that it takes to keep pressing on in a marriage. God, I, I pray that as we celebrate who you are in this moment, Lord, that those of us gathered here would really be able to rest and reflect on your love. Thank you, Jesus.